The inside of the bulletin, this is um, uh, Luke, it's actually 22, 7 through 23. Luke 22, 7 through 23. And let me go ahead and read that. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. The word of the Lord. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do? It's a little different question than the typical question. If you knew you had one year to live, what would you do? Because usually when you have one year to live, out comes the bucket list. Because there are all these things that I wanted to get around to doing and never have. Well, I only have a year. I'm going to go do them. But if you're going to die tomorrow, there is no time for a bucket list, is there? There's really only time for one thing. So what is that one thing? Probably if I surveyed the congregation, what we would say is we would want to be with the ones who we loved. In the same way, Jesus Christ, in this passage, understands that he is going to die tomorrow. And so he has the one thing that he wants to do, to be with his disciples. In verse 15 it says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Indeed, if you translated the Greek, it would be, I have desired with desire to eat this Passover. Jesus has a passion to spend the last hours of his life before he is taken into custody with his disciples. He has things he wants to say to them. He is going to inaugurate a new covenant for them. But I want to suggest to you that in this beautiful, intimate picture... We have an opportunity to look into the mystery of Jesus' heart. The things that he does, the things that he says. That we can see the heart of God. This meal is for the disciples, but it's also for us. 
And so I want for us to sit at the table, to imagine that we are there around the table as Jesus speaks these words for as much as he says them to them, he says them to us as well. And to ask the question, how do I respond to this one who would give so much for me? Let's dig into this Last Supper and First Communion. The first thing I want to talk about is when this Last Supper happens. According to the, what we're seeing here, it's Thursday morning, verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Jesus turns to Peter and John and says, go do the work. And there is a lot of work to be done. Remember, Jesus is an itinerant minister. There, he has no place to lay his head. So question number one, where are we going to find a, fee, uh, a suitable room in crowded Jerusalem for uh, you know, the 12 disciples and Jesus? Additionally, you have to uh, gather the bitter herbs. You have to go to various vendors. You have to get the unleavened bread. There's a very specific time frame in which you can have a Passover lamb sacrificed. That's from 3 to 5 o'clock. It's after the 3 o'clock sacrifice in twilight before sunrise comes down. And so it's a madhouse in Jerusalem. And so these instructions are very strange. Peter and John say, well, where do you want us to prepare it? And he replies, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the master, the teacher asks, where is the room where I can celebrate and where I may eat the Passover? It's kind of like, uh, you know, go into a, uh, you know, the building and look for the man with the red hat. And follow him and he will be carrying a newspaper under one arm. I mean, it's almost cloak and dagger stuff, isn't it? And we have to ask the question, what's up with these instructions? The reality is we know what's up. Judas has already gone to the uh, chief priests and bargained out a price and is looking for an opportunity when Jesus is away from the people to arrest him. And so Judas also is the keeper of the money bag. If Jesus explains very clearly, we're going to go to the house of X, you know, on whatever street, Judas will know. He'll pass it along to the authorities. They will step in. And Jesus has much to do and much to say. He's going to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. John 14 to John 16. He's going to pray his high priestly prayer that the disciples are going to overhear. He's going to inaugurate the new covenant. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. All of these things have to happen. And so he gives these instructions in such a way that Judas cannot know where it is that they are going to have the Passover. So when they ultimately get there, Judas can't get away. He's trapped. Now why Peter and John? Well, Peter and John were clearly leaders in the church. If you look at the book of Acts and so forth, Peter and John, and you had to have at least two people to go have a lamb sacrificed. But you weren't allowed to bring three. And the reason is, you have hundreds of thousands of people going to the altar under this short period of time to have lamb sacrificed. There's not enough room. So two people. Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover 
And then he is going to be arrested and he is going to die. And the time that Jesus is going to die is when Passover lambs are slain. We've talked about timing that despite all the efforts of the chief priests and the Pharisees and Satan, God has his time when Jesus will be sacrificed. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so he must be sacrificed at the right hour. Remember John the Baptist? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or Isaiah 53 where he was led like a lamb before the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shears is silent so he did not open his mouth. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, how can he eat the Passover and also be the lamb that was slain? Because you have to slay the lamb before you have the Passover, right? We know that Jesus was arrested Thursday night. We know that he was taken to the house of Caiaphas. All through the night he was interrogated. On Friday morning, the rooster crowed when Peter denied Jesus the third time. He was led from Caiaphas to the praetorium Friday morning. And ultimately he was crucified and the body was taken down. Remember they asked uh, him to take down the body, uh, Pilate, because it was the Passover. Indeed on Friday the chief priests did not go into the praetorium so they might not be defiled. That they might eat the Passover. So how is it that Jesus has already eaten the Passover and they still are going to eat the Passover? Is this a biblical mistake? No, here's the reality. The Galilean Jews, the northern part of the state of Israel, their days, they kept their calendar day was from sunrise to sunrise. Thursday morning, 6 a.m. to Friday morning, 6 a.m. But for the Judean Jews, the Jews at the bottom of the uh, the countries so or Jerusalem, Judea, all their, their days were from sunset to sunset. Now, it worked for the priests because they could split the Passover over two days. They could slaughter the lambs from three to five for one group of people. And then on the next day, they would slaughter the lambs for the next group of people. So actually, the Passover was celebrated on Thursday and Friday, depending on where you were from. And guess where Jesus was from? From Galilee. And so, Jesus celebrated the Passover. And then he was arrested Thursday night. And he was brought into the praetorium Friday morning. And when was it that Jesus Christ was crucified? Luke 23 says when they crucified him, it was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the land until the ninth hour. The way they kept hours was when the work day started. For some of you, it's 6 a.m., right? Well, back then, 6 a.m. is hour one. And so the sixth hour, 6 a.m. plus six hours, would be 12 o'clock. From 12 o'clock, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the whole land as Jesus hung on the cross from 12 to 3. And about the ninth hour... Three o'clock, Jesus Christ cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Right at the time 
three o'clock to five o'clock, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, Jesus Christ gave up his life. God moved heaven and earth, set up things in such a way that we would clearly know his purpose, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is not a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. I don't know if you've seen the recent movie, The Shack, which many people are talking about and, and lauding and so forth. Got some big problems with The Shack, truth be told. It's one of the things that says that Jesus, who is a Jewish carpenter, says that I am the best way to God. But not the only way to God, the best way to God. In fact, there are many ways to God and I recognize them all. I don't make them go through one door. But the Bible says it quite differently, doesn't it? The Bible set up an entire system of how they would manage time just so that Jesus Christ would make sure to be crucified on the very time that the Passover lamb was slain. See, a Christ without a cross is not the Christ. He might be a great teacher. He might be a great guy. But he's not the Jesus I know. Not the Jesus I love. Not the Jesus who came. If God would go through such lengths to ensure that his son would die right at the time when the Passover lamb was slain, we can only conclude one thing. We need a sacrifice. So where is yours? I don't need a sacrifice, Carlos. I much prefer the Jesus of the shack. I need a guide. I need a good teacher. I need someone who can sympathize with me. But I don't need someone like that. My friends, go choose someone else. Because that's not Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Or I'll choose anyone. Any path will get me to where I need to go. As long as it's sincere, as long as I sincerely follow it, only one sacrifice was given at the right time because only one sacrifice was suitable. Acts 4.12 clearly says, Salvation is found in nowhere else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Can you imagine Friday, by the way, collecting your things busy for the Passover at 12 o'clock when darkness comes over the whole land? What a day when Christ gave up his spirit and the temple was, the, the cloth was torn in two and there was an earthquake. Indeed, even tombs opened and people came out. So powerful was the sacrifice of God. The when is assured. Now I want to talk about the why. Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why does he eagerly desire it? Well, what does Passover really mean? What was the purpose of Passover? As we read from the praying the scriptures, it was to commemorate the miraculous thing that God has do, had done in the lives of the people of Israel, how he had delivered them from bondage. He had brought them out in such a miraculous way. There was the historical significance of Passover 
But there was also the emotional significance of Passover. Passover would be very, very similar to our Christmas, right? Remember growing up as a kid? I don't know about your Christmases, but I remember going down to be with my mother's uh, brothers and sisters and all of their kids and the giant tree and all of the gifts and just the enjoyment of being together as a family and the traditions and the things that were done. Jesus experienced all of those things growing up. The meal where Joseph would be at the head of the table and Mary at the foot. Jesus' brothers and sisters with him. You know he had brothers and sisters. Four brothers and at least two sisters. James and Joseph and Judas. Um, three brothers and, and at least two sisters. There was an emotional significance and where else would you want to be with your, well, at your last meal but with your loved ones? It was in this brief section of time that Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. The God of the universe, calling flawed fallible people, his friends. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And he experienced the same emotions that we do. I think sometimes we have a picture of God by the way that he's unfeeling and uncaring. But to be fully man or woman is to be in the image of God. I don't think there's that much of a difference between God and man in terms of our heart to love and to be loved is the greatest thing whether you're divine or whether you are a creation. Jesus' greatest desire is to love those that he loved and to experience their love in return freely given of free will from humans made in his image. Jesus wants to show them his love. And the way he is going to show them his love is going to be by beginning this new covenant. Because embedded in the Passover meal is himself. And his aim is to make it come alive. For the last 21 years, Jesus has been going to Passover. And every time, hearing the different rituals, all understanding that they were speaking of him. And he's going to unveil to them that the Passover is all about him and he's going to give them something. Let me talk just a brief bit about the Passover in the brief time I have. The Passover consisted of several key rituals. One was there was the drinking of wine. There were four cups of wine. Uh, that were doubly diluted with water. The point wasn't to get drunk. But rather these four cups symbolized four different things that God did. It comes from Exodus 6, 7, uh, 6, 6 through 7. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm 
and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There are four specific acts that God does in this passage, Exodus. And those four acts represent the four cups in chronological order. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will separate you to be my people and I will be your God. I will bring you the cup of sanctification. The second is the cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from their bondage. You are a slave, but I will make you free. The third is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will fight and I will bring you out. Indeed, I will ransom you. And finally, the fourth cup, the cup of hope. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. So they would do this sequence where a cup would be drank and then there would be a ceremonial washing and then there would be a song of praise and then they would eat the meal and then they would have another cup and sing and so on and so on. Luke just touches on a couple of these. He doesn't go through the entire Seder meal. But I want to try to interpret for you what it is that Jesus is saying here in verses 7 through 20. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this cup and divide it among you. Many believe that this cup is talking about, he's actually launched into, he doesn't talk about the first cup in other gospel accounts he does, but this is the cup of deliverance. Jesus is saying to them, I'm here to deliver you from bondage. This cup, take Spread it among you. This is what I am going to do for you tonight. For I will not drink it again until the kingdom of God comes. Remember that the Passover was eaten before the exodus which was uh, to happen. Jesus is inaugurating a new covenant. He's issuing a battle cry. That I am going to deliver you. And I will not drink this cup again until you are standing with me at my kingdom, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, I am the Passover Lamb. And I will be given for you. I will be given in your place. I am a sufficient sacrifice. And you are to do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is inaugurating something. He's inaugurating a sacrament. In verse 20, he says, in the same way after supper. So he eats, they eat the lamb, they eat the bread, and they eat the lamb. They drink the third cup. Oh, oh, and then in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. This is the third cup. It's the cup of redemption. 
the cup that goes along with the passage, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I mentioned that the word redemption in Hebrew could also be the, uh, the word ransom. It's the cup of ransom. Jesus is saying that I'm going to redeem you with great judgments, with the strength of my arm. And the way I'm going to redeem you is by ransoming you. See, to buy someone from slavery, there is a price, a ransom price. And Jesus is saying, this cup of redemption is my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new covenant. And by saying that, Jesus is saying, the Passover as you know it is over. Indeed, the Levitical system is done. The temple is done. The ceremonial law is done. All that is needed, the ransom for you is my blood. A new covenant that I will not drink again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to ransom his people is what he's saying. And I love this fourth cup. He, Luke doesn't give it here, but the other scriptures do. The fourth cup, the cup of hope. After I ransom you, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. When I gave, decided to marry Lee Ellen, which I was born to do, I might add. It was my density. I mean my destiny. I wanted to communicate to her my love for her. And so what is the way that we do that? I went ring shopping, right? And so I went and I looked for that perfect ring, you know? Not any ring would do. I learned everything, but it, it had to be beautiful. It had to be brilliant. It had to be everything because when I would go to her and show it to her, in essence, what I was communicating to her was the new covenant I wanted to inaugurate with her. That I was going to inaugurate with her. Right? That she would be my wife and I would be her husband until death do us part. And I wanted her and I want her every time that she looks at that ring to think and remember of the love that I have for her. It's a covenant love. Jesus is going to the cross and then he's going to the Father. He will die on the cross. He will pay for the sin. You know, if you are a Christian, do you know when you, be, when you uh, became a Christian, when you were saved, excuse me? It wasn't when you said yes to Jesus Christ. Contrary to popular evangelical belief. The time when you were saved was at the cross. When he died for your sins. The time when that salvation was enacted in terms of in your life, appropriated, was when you said yes to Jesus. Actually, when you fell in love with Jesus. I don't exactly remember the time I fell in love with Leah, and I remember the time I married her. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises for us when we think we gave our life to Jesus Christ and discover we actually fell in love with him at a different time earlier. 
See, this whole Last Supper, the reason Jesus is doing it is he's giving them a wedding ring. He's saying to them, millennia from now, church, when you gather together on Sunday, I want you to look at my ring for what it represents. Not for what it is, but for what it represents, for what's behind it. The covenant of blood. The deliverance in love. This is what Jesus is going to do those six hours on Friday. And he wants to make sure that his disciples understand it. And he wants to make sure that we do as well. Everything changed on that Friday when that new covenant was inaugurated in his blood. And what Jesus wants more than anything is for us to remember and to smile and to love and to laugh. To drink these cups, if you will, of sanctification and deliverance and ransom and a cup of hope. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. But the only way that we can truly have the cup of hope is to receive the cup of ransom. That all will be made right. That there is a time again when we will feast, be reunited with our Heavenly Father and His Son around the supper table and enjoy one another's fellowship and company. And He will be our God and we will be His people. We're going to be coming to the communion table but I hope you see it in a new way that you've never seen before. Because it's a gift that God gave for us that we would never forget what it was that He was going to do. What it was that He did for us. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Do you recognize and realize that the God of the universe eagerly desires to ransom you, eagerly desires to be with you. So much so that he will not drink it again until your salvation, until you have been brought to him, until the enemy has been vanquished, and until all has been made right. That's hope. That's beauty. That's not the Jesus of the shack. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let us rest in no other supper and certainly in no other Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you your heart, for your heart, for you gave to us this beautiful picture, this diamond ring, this sacrament that we would know the cup of redemption that we drank by trusting in you and believing in you is more than enough for deliverance and sanctification and reunion and hope. Help us to understand that by your spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.